things in Jesus. To not have to pretend that you have everything together. To not have to put on the face and everyone's like, oh yeah, I never do anything wrong. Yeah, right. No one believes it anyway. And the people closest to you know it really well. And that's why the Bible, it's authentic. It's real. It's, I'm in process. I don't get everything right. And you know what the beauty is? is God knows that we're not going to get everything right and he loves us anyway. It's an amazing feeling when someone knows your ugly secrets and loves you anyway. Well, today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that Jesus knows everything about you and still loves you and wants a relationship with you. As you continue working through this study of numbers, you'll learn that there's a great freedom not having to pretend that you've got it all together. You can be honest about your failures without fear that Jesus will reject you. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 19 as he continues his message, Purification Laws. How many times should I forgive him? Seven times? And Peter was thinking to himself, man, I am such a forgiving person. And what did Jesus say? No, no, no. I didn't say seven times. I said 70 times seven. And you guys know that Jesus wasn't saying, okay, forgive him 490 times. And if he hits 491, don't forgive him. You know that that's not what Jesus meant, right? Jesus is, he's meaning, listen, I want you to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive without end. He's like, forget your seven times. Peter thought he had it going on. No, infinitely more. Forgive infinitely more. And so seven times this blood is sprinkled. And then notice in verse five, then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. All of it, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire that is burning the heifer. Now, this is really interesting. Three different things, cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet. Now, what's interesting is because, again, this is a purification ritual and the red heifer is also, as all the sacrifices are, a picture, a shadow of Jesus, the idea of why would you throw the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet in there? And there's different fragrance reasons for it. But if you think about when you think about the sacrifice of Jesus and you add wood to it, what is wood a picture of? The cross, right? Hyssop. Do you remember that hyssop showed up in the Passover celebration? That when they, when they slaughtered the Passover lamb, they used hyssop to be what was dipped into the blood and applied to the doorposts of the house. And in the Psalms, you get, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Most Bible commentators would tell you that hyssop is a picture of faith because faith is what takes the blood of Jesus that has been given for you and applies it to your life. The application of faith. See, and this is important because Jesus, when he died, there was enough power in his death and resurrection to forgive every single sin of every single person who ever lived. But what applies that powerful grace and forgiveness to our lives? Faith. 
So faith is the applicator of the finished work of Jesus to our lives. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. While we were saved by grace through faith, it's not ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you have the cedar wood, which is a picture of the cross. Of course, you have the hyssop, which is, is all applied to our lives by faith. And then, of course, the scarlet thread. You've ever heard the scarlet thread that runs through your Bible? It speaks of the blood of Jesus that cleanses a person from all unrighteousness. All of this thrown into the fire where this heifer is burned. Now, what is that a picture of? Picture of Jesus being consumed by the wrath of God. We have to always remember that part of our faith story. That on the cross, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason Jesus sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane is he knew that he was going to receive the righteous punishment that as fully God before the foundations of the earth, Jesus knew how abhorrent that sin was. We always think, man, the cross physically would be awful. We can't even fathom the spiritual ramifications of that. Jesus literally experienced hell on earth in our place. That's why we rejoice in Jesus. That's why we're unashamed to say we believe in Jesus because Jesus did for us what nobody would do for us, which is stand in our place and receive all the punishment that I deserved for my garbage and you deserve for your garbage, all because of his great love. It's powerful. It's the gospel. But all of these pictures right here in this telling of the purification by the red heifer. Now, what's interesting is after this is done in verse seven, it says the priest shall wash his clothes and shall bathe in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. So what this is saying is now is that with the burning of the red heifer and the slaughtering and the blood, now you have this cleansing ritual where the clothes are taken off, he's bathed, he's brought back in, but he's ceremonially unclean for a season. And so we've been talking about this a lot. Not only is there health concerns, and this was very unique in that culture. Oftentimes we forget that we wash our hands, you go to the bathroom if you're in a restaurant, and employees need to wash their hands because we realize that sickness can be passed through all these different things. And so when an animal was slaughtered, this cleansing ritual, part of it was to protect God's people from disease running through uh, biological elements like blood and flesh and all these things. We often forget that that's part of the sacrificial system, that God cares about the simple health and well-being of his people. And God wanted to protect them. But also it is a reminder that we are continually needing to be cleansed again. The finished work of Jesus is finished, but you and I know that life happens. And we're constantly, not that we need to get born again again, but we're constantly coming and saying, Lord, cleanse me. I'm sure for many of you, you've walked through your day today, and there's been some things that have gone on, things that you've heard, things that have been hurled in your direction that you're like, man, God, I need you to wash away the negativity and the garbage and the gossip and the sin and all this stuff. That stuff kind of latches onto us a little bit, doesn't it? In the work of ministry for these priests, you end up getting bombarded by all this stuff and you're like, Lord, I want you to wash me. I want you to cleanse me. And don't miss the fact, and you guys know this, when you take a bath or you take a shower, it is refreshing, isn't it? 
There's an element of refreshment that comes. And don't miss that. For Eliezer, as he's doing all this work, God's like, no, and there's going to be a time of refreshment. And although he's ceremonially unclean, it is a time of relaxation for him. Right there. And that's a good thing. You all need times to be refreshed, especially after you're involved in self-sacrificial service. You take some time and you allow yourself to be refreshed, a time of inactivity. It's also a great reminder that God doesn't need you to keep the world going around. You know that. That's one of the reasons Sabbath was there. Because we need a reminder to say, the world will keep spinning around without my help. I am not God. And oftentimes inactivity is the only way. And that's also the reason why many of us struggle to be inactive. Because there's a part of our fallenness that says everything will not be okay unless I'm involved in it. Brothers and sisters, that's idolatry, isn't it? God can be God really good without our involvement. And we are the ones who need to learn that. So he has this purification time, this time of refreshment, relaxation. He's not allowed to work. He's on the shelf for the rest of the day for God's glory. And then notice in verse eight, and the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Verse nine, the man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification And it is for the purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever for the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. So everybody who's involved in this needs to be cleansed, have a change of clothes, a time of inactivity. And notice that really what this is about, not only is it the purification of the blood of the tabernacle of meeting, but the ashes are going to be important now. So it's the remnant of the offering now that is being taken outside the camp and being stored for a specific work. It's kind of unique, but we'll see what happens. So look what happens in verse 11. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the waters of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. Now, now we see how the ashes of the red heifer are being used. And the idea now again is if anyone touches a dead body. Now, how many of you are like, hey, we've heard this a number of times already. How many of you have been traveling with us? This is one of the reasons that a lot of people believe that the first five books, the books of Moses, a lot of people believe that they were compiled later and arranged together. Because, and I don't know that I hold to it or not. The Bible doesn't say specifically, they call this source theory, where there's been a number of documents that have been compiled later because you're like, wait, we just heard this. And how does this work? We've been talking to dead bodies and the purification. And sometimes the arrangement would be like, okay, why is that there? Because now in the purification from touching something that is deceased, pops in all of a sudden. And now we find that the Ashes of the red heifer are mixed with water and the person needs to be cleansed on the third and seventh day with the ashes of this 
in the waters of purification because of touching a dead body. This is like a new nuance to it. Now, why is touching a dead person a defiling action? One, as we've already said, when people die, they begin to decompose. How often when your doctor walks into your, uh, your medical exam, what do they do? They wash their hands. Why? Because they were just talking to somebody else. And nobody goes to the doctor's office when they're feeling good normally. So the doctor comes and washes his hand. Again, that protects you. You're grateful that the doctor does it. If the doctor doesn't wash his hand, you're probably like, hey, a doc, can you uh, go wash your hands, please, before you even come anywhere near me? So in the same thing, the idea of the cleansing part, the idea of the being set apart was to ensure that any decomposition, biological matter that can hurt the rest of the children of Israel, you were separated out for seven days. And now we have the idea of being cleansed with water that included the ashes of the red heifer. Now, think about it for your own life. The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Is death. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so when you look at the idea of a dead person, touching a dead person, it's the defiling of sin. That's the picture. Because if somebody makes a mistake, any mistake, the Bible calls that sin, missing the mark. And the outgrowth of that is death. And so the idea is, is that when we are acquainted with the things of death, we need purification. Now, isn't that the foundation of the message of Jesus right there? That you and I fail. And the beauty of Christianity, it doesn't pretend that people don't fail. Actually, as Christians, we should be the first one to say, I've made a mistake and I'm sorry. Because our message is not that we get everything right. It's that we acknowledge that we get lots of things wrong and God knows it too. And God sent Jesus to stand in our place and to give us a brand new life. That's the message of the gospel. That is the message of Jesus. And I want to give you the freedom to agree with God and be able to say, I don't got it all together. It's one of the most freeing things in Jesus to not have to pretend that you have everything together, to not have to put on the face. And I was like, oh yeah, I never do anything wrong. Yeah, right. No one believes it anyway. And the people closest to you know it really well. And that's why the Bible, it's authentic. It's real. It's, I'm in process. I don't get everything right. And you know what the beauty is? Is God knows that we're not going to get everything right. And he loves us anyway. It's not like, oh yeah, you just messed up today. You lost your temper. Or yeah, you lost your temper in your heart, but you didn't say anything. But inside, you verbally assaulted somebody. God knows that we do that stuff. But God isn't afraid of us. God just wants us to own it so that he can cleanse us. And that's why it says that we should not only we confess to God, but we also confess to one another. So we can say, listen, forgive me. I'm so sorry. But oftentimes, church is the least authentic place. Because people feel like they got to put on this mask of togetherness which is actually in opposition to the gospel message. In Jesus, you're free to be who you really are, own who you really are, and receive God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. I love the fact. I love the fact that God isn't impressed with our masks. So let's not be impressed with our masks. 
Let's be able to acknowledge, man, I have death in my life. But Jesus died and rose again to conquer my shame, to conquer my death. That's the gospel message. Now look what happens in verse 14. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. And whoever is in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, and on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave, the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean person on the third day and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and at evening he shall be clean." So now we have all the different ways that you can touch a dead body and all of them are included in. And, and you got to love God's specific because God knows sometimes someone will be like, you know, okay, if you touch a dead body, why wasn't there? Well, what happens if you're in the house when they die? Or what happens if you're in an open field and you're standing on a grave? Or what happens if you're digging and you find a bone, right? And you know how this goes, right? How many of you try and work the loopholes in, in Christianity? Well, I don't, you know, is it really that? Did I really do that? I, I don't know, you know, like, and we do that kind of stuff, right? We start ju- self-justifying. We, we have a tendency not to be exhaustive, but to be particular, right? And so God just kind of nails all of them. He's like, look, if you touch a dead body in any way, whether it's someone who was slain, whether they're dead, whether they drop dead in your presence, whether you're out in a field, if you end up with a bone on a grave, it doesn't matter. No matter what, we're protecting the people and you need to be cleansed again. In every way, death is defiling. Why? Because it was never God's intention in the first place. And that's why, that's why, no matter when somebody goes home to be with the Lord, whether it's at a ripe old age or way too young, it always feels wrong. It always feels wrong. Why? Because death was never God's intention. Death entered the world because of sin. Now, God knew that we were going to sin. Jesus was called the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. But death is never God's intention. And that's why the shortest verse in our Bible is Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. It says, Jesus wept two words in a whole verse. At the tomb of a man, he knew he was going to, who Jesus knew was going to die, and Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He told the disciples that before it even happened. He said, listen, man, it's good that I wait. He's sleeping. Like, oh, he's sleeping. He's going to get well. No, he's dead. But I go that I might wake him up. Jesus knew that he was going to wake him up, but he still wept at the tomb. Why? Because death's always wrong in God's eyes. It was never God's intention. And that's why God values life so much. And the snuffing out of life in whatever situation is always wrong. It's always defiling. And no matter how it happens, the circumstances, it's never God's intention. So again here, we have the idea of quarantining for seven days all those who come in contact with a dead body. It was a wonderful public health measure as well. And I, you notice, I always bring it back to those two things. There's a spiritual ramification and there's a very practical ramification. 
God wants to teach us spiritual truths and practical truths. And it's a good thing that God loved his people enough to say, I don't want people to get sick. And by touching a dead body, much more common, especially in a culture that is not nearly as antiseptic as the culture that we live in today. Now, look at what happens in verse 20. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that man shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification is not sprinkled on him. He is unclean. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Notice this. The only way to be admitted again into the people of God is to be cleansed when we become defiled. Look what it says. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. What this teaches us, again, is that admittance into the family of God comes through purification by belief in Jesus. And that if someone is unwilling to be cleansed, then they have no part in the family of God because they become a defiling presence in the midst of the people. And our God is a holy God and God wants his holiness to be shared with his people. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you are not part of the family of God. And not because I don't want you to be, but because God's word says that in order to be part of the family, you need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And that is what God asks. He says, look, you are unclean, but I want to cleanse you and you need to receive my cleansing. And if that's you, don't wait one second for the refreshment and the blessing of God's cleansing presence. He desires to purify you. He has done everything other than impose it upon you to make it so. Jesus is real. Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel shared that just like the Israelites, you must be cleansed to be welcomed into God's people. When you begin a relationship with Jesus, he takes the consequences of your sin unto himself, making you clean. You learn that God gives you the choice to be cleansed or not. It's up to you to decide. Pastor Daniel urged you not to wait, but to reach out to God so you can experience his blessing and peace. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. 
I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio. And Pastor Daniel will remind you that often it's the hard times in your life that make you grow the most. As you continue the Wilderness series, you'll learn about four sad events that happened to the Israelites. You'll see that these events prepare God's chosen people to leave the wilderness and move into the land that he had promised them. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time. Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Wilderness. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.